Good morning. My name is Anna Phillips. Um, my husband and I have been members here at West End for about three years. Um, many of you have read chapter 12 of the story this week. As we go through God's larger story as a church family, the sermons each week will come from that week's reading. This morning's scripture can be found starting on page 163 in the story. The text is from Psalm 51. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The word of God for the people of God. Anna, thank you so much. For those of you I had met, my name is Carter Crenshaw. I'm delighted that you're here, and uh, we continue on in the story. We talked last week about a man named Saul. He was a king that uh, the Lord did raise up, but ultimately he failed. He turned away from the living God, and he led many people astray. And then the Lord told Saul that he was going to raise up a man after his own heart, and we have David. Now, I want to tell you the backstory. One of the fun things that I think we get to do here in Nashville is go to songwriters' nights. I'm assuming a lot of y'all have done that. I love doing that because when you go, you get to hear from the writer herself or himself what inspired the song, the songs that you're, that you're getting to hear. And I want to tell you the backstory of this psalm. And let me tell you why I want to tell you that story because this psalm I believe is a manifesto for Christian freedom Christianity was meant at the very heart to set us free from sin and guilt and so let me tell you the backstory to that so it starts out like this King David doing a great job. He's done a lot of miraculous things for the people of God. And they have come to really adore him. Now, at a certain point in his career, he sends his army out to fight his wars, but he chooses not to go with them like all good kings. So he finds himself... He didn't know this at the time, but he finds himself in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's walking on the roof of his palace, and because his palace is above every other house in Jerusalem, he's looking down at everybody else, and he happens to see a woman bathing who is very, very attractive. He sends for her. They have sex. She conceives a child. 
she sends word to David that in fact she is pregnant. And David begins what's known as a massive, massive cover-up. He sends for Bathsheba, her husband Uriah. She sends for Uriah from the front lines as he's out fighting with God's people. And he comes back and David talks with Uriah and then ultimately suggests that Uriah go home and find comfort in Bathsheba's arms. Uriah does in fact go home, but he refuses to actually sleep with his wife. He stays out in the yard, on the, really on the doorstep. David finds out about this and sends for Uriah and invites him again to dinner. And at this point, he begins to serve Uriah healthy amounts of drink, if you know what I mean. Hoping to put Uriah in a, more, uh, in a more loose mood, if you will. Uriah goes home, having had too much to drink, but yet still refuses to sleep with his wife, as he told David later, because my partners are out in the field, not with their wives, and I want to show solidarity with them. Uriah was an incredible man of integrity. David still desperate to cover up what he's done with Bathsheba, decides to write a letter to Joab who's fighting David's wars. And this letter is a letter saying to Joab that Joab is to see that Uriah is put in a very dangerous part of the battle so that Uriah will die an honorable death in battle. Very convenient for David. And what you may not know is Uriah actually carries the letter that David writes to put him to death. Uriah does die in battle. David's informed of it and simply says very casually, well, that's the way it goes. Joab, you need to just press on and win the war for us. Nathan, the prophet, David's good friend and confidant, comes to David soon after and begins to tell David a story. And the story goes like this, and I'm telling, telling you, uh, I'll just briefly tell you the story. Nathan tells uh, David this story. He says, there was a rich man with a lot of sheep, and there was a poor man with one sheep. The rich man needed to provide entertainment for people who had come to be guests in his house. And instead of slaughtering one of his many sheep, he chooses to steal the sheep from the poor man and slaughter that sheep for his guests. As David is listening to this story, David begins to rise up at the obvious injustice of it. And Nathan says, what should be done to the rich man? And David says, he should be put to death. And then Nathan says what's become very famous, if you're familiar with the Bible. Nathan says, you are the man. And then David writes Psalm 51. One of the greatest expressions of brokenness, pleas for mercy, begging of forgiveness that's ever been written. Now, we're going to walk through this. There are four really sections to this. First, I want you to look with me at verses 1 and 2. The appeal David makes to God. First, he says, have mercy on me, O God. So when you think about mercy, think about mercy like this. It's asking for something that I don't deserve. And it's also asking not to receive something that I do deserve. In other words, it's a completely unmerited request. Or if you will, I'm 
merit something else, but I'm asking for something that I don't deserve, but I so desperately need. And that's what David is coming to God for, an appeal to God's mercy. Now, if you'll see, this is very, very important. Notice, he does not appeal to God based on anything David has done in the past. He appeals to God for God's mercy based on God's character. And if you look here, he says, according to your unfailing love. Now, if you don't get anything else from this sermon, you must know that God is love and his love is unfailing. And if we come and cry out to the living God, bringing our need to the Lord, the Lord will respond. He has an unfailing love to people who call out to him. And that unfailing love is an undeserved love. It's a love that's not earned. It's a love that God promises to give us. David also says this, according to your great compassion. So he appeals to the Lord's compassion. The word compassion means in the Hebrew, and it's an expression of a deep internal resonance or caring for somebody who's in need. And so David is appealing to God for mercy based on who God is, not on what David has done. So many of us fall into the trap of coming to the Lord based on what we've done or what we haven't done instead of coming to the Lord based on who he is. And David knows what he's done. And David knows what he needs with mercy. And he calls out for mercy. And he comes to the Lord because of the Lord's character, his loving kindness, his love, his unfailing love, and the fact that he's compassionate. Now look at verses 1 and 2. Notice how he describes his sins. He says, transgressions, iniquity, sin. He's simply saying, I know I've sinned. Those are all words that describe the moral failure that David engaged in when he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then when he chose to murder Uriah, her husband. He knows that he has broken God's law. And because he knows he has such great need, he's very bold in what he asks for. Look at the words he uses here. He says, blot out my transgressions. That word blot out means to erase from a, a ledger. Those of you who have your own companies, think of your accounts payable right now. David is simply calling out to God to relieve him completely of his accounts payable. He uses the word wash away. And it's a word of laundering. David knows that he's stained with adultery. He knows that he's stained with, with murder. And he knows he's wearing this stain. And so he calls out to God to cleanse him from it. And he uses the word cleanse too. And that word is a, a word that's sometimes used for purifying metals. You know, on the TV, sometimes when they're selling gold, it always says it's 99.9% .9 pure. The way they get that metal so pure is they heat it up and they, they, they take off the impurities from the top. And what David is saying is, Lord, take my impurities away. And he uses these three words, blot out, wash away, and cleanse, because he knows he's guilty before God. He knows he's committed adultery. He knows he's committed murder. He knows he has no standing of merit before the living God. And yet that does not keep him from pursuing God. You know, you may know this, but in other parts of the Scripture, David is called a man after God's own heart. 
And that used to really, really confuse me. Does a man after God's own heart commit adultery and then murder to cover it up? But do you know what that phrase, after God's own heart, means? David is a man desperate for God's heart of unfailing love, compassion. David is a man who knows he's sinful. And he's after God's heart because he knows his own heart. The only difference, men and women, between David and Saul is the fact that David went to the Lord with his sin. And Saul chose not to. Psalm 51 is the only difference. Now look at verses 3 through 5. David appeals to the Lord. Now he confesses his sin. Look at verse 3. He says, my sin is ever before me. And imagine it like this. He knows his sin. He knows his sin is pointing at him as guilty. I think one of the greatest expressions of, of someone coming to grips with how sinful they are is a Christmas carol by Charles Dickens. And if you've read it or if you've seen it in a play or perhaps you've seen a movie, do you remember when, when, um, when Scrooge is, is taken back by the uh, different spirits and one, in one scene, he, uh, Scrooge is taken back to his dead uh, friend Marley. And the ghost of Marley is talking to Scrooge. And here's the interchange. Scrooge says, Scrooge says this, You're chained. Tell me why. And here Marley, the ghost of Marley, responds, I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link and yard by yard. I girded it on of my own free will. And of my own free will, I wore it. And the whole, the play is all about how Scrooge becomes more and more aware of the sin that's defined his life. And I believe that's a, a great picture of what's happening here for David. David knows that his sin is pointing him out and it stands there and it accuses him. And then he says this about his sin and this is very important. Look at verse 4. He says this. He says, against you and you only have I sinned, O God. Now I want you to hear something clearly to me, from me. David knows he's sinned against Bathsheba and he knows he's sinned against Uriah. This is something in Hebrew as a way to say that David knows, first of all, that his sins against Bathsheba and his sins against Uriah are first against the Lord. Men and women, when we commit relational sin with each other, our sins are first against God and then the other person. And that's because all of us are created by God and we bear the image of God. Hence... When I sin against you, I'm actually sinning against who God made you and what God calls me to do with you, which is to love you. And if I fail to love you, I'm actually sinning against God first. Listen to how John Stott puts it in a great book, The Cross of Christ. The emphasis of Scripture is on the godless self-centeredness of sin. Every sin is a breach of what Jesus called the first and great commandment. Not just by failing to love God with all our being, but also by actively refusing to acknowledge and obey God as our creator and Lord. We have rejected 
The position of dependence, which our createdness invariably involves. And we've made a bid for independence. Sin is not regret, a regrettable lapse from conventional standards. It's, in essence, hostility towards God. It's an active rebellion against God. Now, you may be aware of this in our culture. I hear this from many people that I dialogue with. They say, how can it be wrong if it's between two consenting adults? Now, I want you to listen to me carefully. If, you, if you've heard that, or if you're in a relationship and you don't think it's wrong because the other person consents, every relationship that you have involves God. And God is the one who decides how we treat other people. God made the people we're in relationship with. And he made us. And he designed us to relate to each other in very specific ways that are best for us. Two people can be in a relationship and consent to do the wrong thing. Healthy relationship is designed by the living God. And look at verse 4. David says, you're right, God, when you speak. You're justified when you judge. Men and women, listen to me. The Word of God, the Bible that we preach from this morning, it's the Word of God. It's God speaking. And so it's right. And what God says is true. And David says here, God, when you speak, you're right and when you judge me according to the truth that you give me, you're just. And so David knows that his plea for mercy has no basis but the love and compassion of God. Because God is just. And look at what else he goes on to do here as he's confessing, continues to confess. Look at verse 5. It gets more intense here. Look at this. Surely I was sinful at birth from the time I was conceived. He's simply saying, I was sinful from the core, from the very beginning. In other words, men and women, you've got, you've got to know this about you and me. You guys, we'll turn the corner here in a little bit. It'll get more encouraging in a minute. But listen, it's got to get really bad before it gets really good, if I could be straightforward with you. Listen to this. It's so important to understand this. What David did and what you do and what I do is not a slip, simply a slip of an otherwise good person. What David did and the sin I commit is not the exception to the rule. I am not a good person who occasionally does bad. I'm not a bad person who occasionally does good, apart from the grace of God. And it's essential to see that. Essential. Now, God does not leave us there, but we've got to know where we start. And so David says, from the beginning, my character was flawed. And in fact, the apostle Paul says to the church in the early church, he says, by the one man's disobedience, the very first human being, Adam, by the one man's disobedience, all people were made sinners. In other words, sin entered the human race. And so we're all depraved. We're all touched 
at every area of our lives by sin. And David's simply noting that. He's saying, I was a sinner from the beginning, and I'm a sinner all the way through. And so what do we need to learn here? You know what we need to learn? Guys, ladies, we've got to take responsibility for our sin. We've got to own our stuff. We've got to own our stuff before God, and we've got to own our stuff with each other. I've told you this before. I had somebody walk in one time and said, I'm not real comfortable in this church. And I said, I wonder why. Aren't the seats nice? I mean, you know. They said, everybody's got it together. I I, I said, this must be your first time here. (laughs) I can assure you, not everybody in here has got it together. I'm here. Scotty's here. I could, can I confess a few of your sins? I'm just kidding. <laughs> you guys, there's a real freedom in taking responsibility for the fact that I'm sinful. Because we don't have to hold up a pose. Watch what David does here in verses 6 through 9. He moves towards the plea for restoration. This is powerful. Look at verse 6. He says, you desire truth in the inner parts. In other words, what he's saying is, you have the standard. You want the truth in the inner parts. And then look what else he says here. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. You know what that simply means is this, that God brought conviction to David at the very core of who he is. And guess what we get as a result? We get Psalm 51. How many of you love Psalm 51? I love it. I love it. Because it's who I am, it's who God is, and it's what God can do. Do you see? It's so freeing. And that's what David is saying. Because he knows God will give us what he requires of us. He'll give it to us as a gift. Because he knows we can't ever find it on our own. Look at what David says in verse 7. Cleanse me with hyssop. That's a, that's a request. of a, it, it, it points to a ritual purification of the, the branch of the hyssop tree. Which, which they would dip in the sacrificial blood of an animal. And sprinkle on it, the, the substitute animal. And his blood would be sprinkled on the person who was being purified. David knows David knows there needs to be a sacrifice for his sin. He knows it. And so he asks God for it. And then he goes on, look at verse 7, he says, wash me. I love that word wash. It literally means to descend me. And notice what he says here, and I will be whiter than snow. Hey, how many of you guys ever did a tough mutter? Ladies? Did y'all ever, did we do it together, Sims? Let me tell you what a tough mutter is. As I recall, I'm trying to put it out of my memory. It's a 10-mile race with 20 obstacles of the most nasty things that you can imagine. And you end up completely filthy from head to toe. Well, I wore some really nice stuff when I went to the Tough Mudder. This was out in Spring Hill. And, and when we finished, it was absolute exhaustion. And I don't think I've ever been more dirty in my life. The only thing, and there, my eyelids were filthy. And we got home, and my wife looked at me, and we didn't even think about washing the stuff. We just threw it all out. 
even the shoes. God doesn't do that. I don't care how filthy you are. God can deal with the darkest heart in this room. And David knows it. And the Lord says through Isaiah, come now, let's settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And David knows that. That God can do that. Look at verse 8. I love this. How does he say it in verse 8? Watch. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you've crushed rejoice. Now that's a very interesting request. David says, let me hear joy and gladness. Well, the joy and gladness of what? Well, there's two joy and gladnesses. First, the joy and gladness of God. Do you know that God rejoices when we repent? Do you know that God celebrates when we come home? Do you realize that? God throws a party. And then David wants his, to hear his own joy and gladness. You guys, I think one of the greatest pictures of this that I've ever seen is the painting by Rembrandt. Would you throw it up? Everybody have a look at this painting. You may be familiar with this. So it's kind of, well, it's kind of hard to see. But let me, let me show you. I want you to see a few things, Okay. This is a painting of the return of the prodigal son. You can see the major characters. Okay? I want you to think about it for just a minute. You can see the father. Do you see how he's welcoming his son home? Did you notice the father's left hand is a little bit larger? It's just a little bit larger to show a heart of compassion. Look at the prodigal son. Do you see his left foot? He's weary from being gone so long. He's worn his shoes out in futility. Look at his uh, face in the breast of his father. But look at the older brother. Look how he's looking down on the father and the son. I want to ask you a question. Here's the question I want to ask you. Who are you in this picture? Do you really see your sin for what it is? And you, have you found the Father's heart? Look at that. Do you see your sin for what it is? Do you, do you see how you're dressed? Do you see the shoeless left foot? And you, have you found the Father's heart? Or... Are you the one that looks down on the sinner? Look at the older brother. And the father's the one who throws the party. Think about that. You can take it down now. Look at verse 8. Let the bones that you've crushed, how does he put it? He says, let the bones you've crushed Rejoice. He's saying that sin weights us down. And he's asking God to set his bones, the bones that have been broken by sin. He's saying, reset the bones. And look at verse 9. I just love this. Look at verse 9. It says, hide your face from my sins. 
and blot out my iniquity. Now, you guys, let me ask you a question. Think this through with me. Everybody, tune in, okay? Wake back up. Here we go. Listen to me. Listen to me. David has put God in a conundrum. David has said, God, I know you're just. God, don't turn your face away from me, a guilty sinner. How can David make that request of God? You guys, the beauty of the Bible is that God is willing to forgive sinners by paying the debt that the sinner owes him. That's the beauty of the Bible. The Lord is willing to pay your accounts payable. But the way he pays your accounts payable is he sends his son, the Lord Jesus, who himself is the second person of the Trinity, fully God. Who took on flesh and is fully human being. And when Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose rose again from the dead. When he lived, he had no accounts payable. He was free and clear, perfect before the living God. I've come to do my Father's will. When he went to the cross, he was taking your debt with him as he was nailed there. And Paul says that our sins were nailed to the cross. Well, our sins were nailed to the cross because he who knew no sin became sin. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, if you trust him, your sins were nailed there. And at that point, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, paying for sin, God hid his face from Jesus. And at that very point, men and women, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God hid his face from his own son so that he would never hide his face from us. So he would never hide his face from us. The hyssop branch that David was sprinkled with was a cross. And the blood was Jesus's. That's how much God loves us. And then David says, change me, Lord. You love me like this? Change me. Look at verses 10 through 13. I love this. Notice what he says in verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Oh, I just love it. Y'all, let me just ask you a quick question. Did he ask for a second chance? Did he ask for a second chance? Would you please stop asking for second chances? Please? What are you going to do with a second chance? The same thing you did with the first chance. God is not going to leave your salvation to chance. And David knows it. He says, give me a new heart. Now I'll tell you this. The word has implications of brand new, but also of renewal. And I believe David is saved here. So I believe David is really asking for a renewal. But really, David, what, is, what David is saying is, my self-discipline does not drive my obedience. He's saying, God, I need you here to renew my spirit. Look at verse 10. Renew me 
Give me a steadfast spirit. He goes on in verse 12. Give me a willing spirit. What he's requesting here is this. He's saying, give me an eager, enthusiastic, generous outlook on who you are, God. Help me to know that you love me at my worst and you're going to bring out my best. Help me to know that you really have paid for my sins. And you've loved me. And you've given yourself for me. And now I can give myself for you. Men and women, this is a cry. David is crying out. He wants to be changed by God. He wants to. He wants to obey the living God. Look at what he says. Restore my joy, Lord. And it's a restoration. Verse 12, it says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Do you know the joy of his salvation is his relationship with God. It's his intimacy with God. Men and women, David is simply saying, Lord, Draw me to you again. I turned away. You never turned away. And now as I turn back to you, oh God, restore my intimacy and energize me to obey from that love. So what you have is something really, really beautiful. You have an appeal. You have a confession. You have a restoration. And he wants to change. And it's all because he knows that God will change him. He wrote Psalm 51 because he knew God loved him and he knew how desperately he needed God.